Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 206. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Yo, what is going on, all you unstoppable restaurant professionals? It's Tuesday, which means it's Talking Tuesday, and we have a great topic to discuss. It's going to be a book review, a summary on the book, Great by Choice. And before we get into that book, I need to take a moment to thank today's sponsor, QSR Online. QSR Online offers a handful of benefits from inventory and food costing, enterprise reporting, data automation, to labor and scheduling. All these things can help you get time back in your day so you can do the things that matter, like improve your restaurant and just spend time with your customers or do whatever it is you love to do in your restaurant. To learn more, head over to go.qsronline.com slash unstoppable. Again, that's go.qsronline.com slash unstoppable. All right, so like I mentioned, it's Tuesday, which means it's Talking Tuesday, so I'm going solo today, and I'm just going to give you a quick aerial view of this great book I just finished called Great by Choice, Uncertainty, Chaos, and Luck. Why Some Thrive Despite Them All. Um, and this book was authored, co-authored by Jim Collins and uh, Morton T. Hansen. And uh, if Jim Collins sounds familiar, you might have heard of some of his other books. Uh, he wrote uh, Built to Last, Good to Great, and How the Mighty Fall. All incredible books. I've only read uh, Good to Great is the only other book I've, I've read. But those other two, uh, Built to Last and How the Mighty Fall, are definitely on my hit list. And hopefully we'll be doing a review of those books as well. But today we're going to be covering the most recent book, again, which is Great by Choice. And what we're going to cover in this episode is the big concept of this book and uh, what the book's about. And I'm going to share some of the habits that they wrote about, the most common habits uh, that they're calling these 10Xers. Uh, and I'll explain what that is in a little bit. Uh, what these 10Xers have, the, the habits, or if, if they were guests on Restaurant Unstoppable, we would call them the most common it factors. And um, the different practices they use in their businesses that have made them success. And we're going to talk a little bit about luck, and then we're going to have some final thoughts. So, all right, let's first talk about what is meant by uh, a, a 10Xer. So a 10Xer is basically what they did with this book is they studied uh, a bunch of companies and they took the companies uh, in separate uh, industries that performed 10 times better than the, the comparison companies in the, same, in, or in the same industry as that 10Xer. So these companies that they studied are the, those companies that are just the rock stars, you know, the ones that are doing it better than everyone else 10 times, a minimum of 10 times better than the, their competition in similar industries. So uh, the authors, they found these, these 10Xers. And they looked at these 10Xers and they said, okay, what are these 10Xers doing that is making them so um, successful? So they looked at as many similarities that these 10Xers shared. Um, and then they that's basically what this book is. They're taking the most common it factors or behaviors um, and they're saying, okay, these are the four most common it factors or uh, behaviors. And then they're looking at the different practices in um, saying how those behaviors are uh, influencing their practices and how how they practice or do business essentially and the, the, the ways that they're doing business and how those behaviors influence the way they do business. So that's a super aerial view and I'm not going to give you 
the meat and potatoes. You guys are going to have to go get the book yourself and uh, really dive into it. This is just a taste of what you can expect. And I'm going to try to keep this episode under 10 or 15 minutes. And you know, if, if you've been listening to the show, that would be quite the feat for me because I talk way too much. I'm doing it right now. So let's go over those first uh, those behaviors. The so four most common behaviors of these successful X or X10Xers that they cover in the book. Those four behaviors are fanatical discipline, empirical creativity, productive paranoia, and the last one is uh, their level. They have level five ambition. So let's start with the first one: fanatical discipline. What is meant by fanatical discipline? Uh, these people uh, just have the discipline to do whatever it takes to get the job done. They're, they have discipline with their value. They have dif- discipline with their, their actions, discipline with their standards, their operating procedures, discipline to meet their goals. I mean, I think one of the best definitions of discipline um, is doing the things, you know, having the power and the self-control to do the things that you don't want to do, but you just do them because you know you have to. And being able to show up every day when the going gets hard and just getting it done. And knowing that people, they, they, they depend on you. Like, you have to show up and get those things done. And you have that discipline to get better every day. And that's fanatical discipline. And in the book, they write, 10Xers are utterly relentless. Monomanical, even uh, unbending in their focus on their quest, they don't overreact to events, succumb to the herd, or leap for alluring but irrelevant opportunities. They stay focused. They have that discipline to keep their mind, you know, or their nose down to the grind, and they know their purpose, and they do nothing but show up to accomplish that purpose. All right, the next behavior that they mention in the, the book, the next it factor, if you're a restaurant unstoppable listener. Uh, is empirical creativity. So I guess you need to know what the definition of empirical means. And uh, what I have uh, here, what they wrote in the book, is empirical means relying upon direct observation, conducting practical experiments, and or engaging directly with evidence rather than relying on opinion, whim, conventional wisdom, authority, or untested ideas. Um, They use data, essentially, is what that means. And then once they have this data... And once they've uh, backed up their decision with the right information, they make very bold moves and they're very creative moves, hence empirical creativity. Now, how can I tie this back to the show? So many times our guests are talking about technology, and this is why I ask about technology, uh, how you can leverage technology to, to gather this data. And so much is out there today. Um, software that's designed to pull information from your POS system. Some examples include Swipely. Huge supporter of the show. Mentioned a bunch of times. They take information from your POS and they give you graphs from how your uh, menu is performing to how your team's uh, performing to what your guests are eating. All this data on your guests, your your team, anything you can think of, they put to a graph so you can see how you're performing. Another one is QSR Online. Today's sponsor. QSR Online will give you data on, uh, again, pull data from your accounting, from your POS, and then also sales forecasting and labor management. All these things, all these things are examples of pulling data to make better business decisions. Um, another way you can get data or pull data is from Hum, another service recommended on the show where it's a poll. It's a, it's a survey where you give your, your guests a survey and, and they tell you about their experience, but all those, um, it's all those uh, surveys, all that information is information you can use 
to get creative and make good business decisions. So that's what is meant by empirical creativity. All right, the next habit is productive paranoia. Um, and this basically means that even when things are good, even when you're you know flying high and nothing could go wrong, you're thinking like the worst thing that could possibly ever happen is absolutely with 100% certainty going to happen and you prepare for it. You're constantly asking yourself, well, what if? What can I do? What if this happens? And then you're finding solutions or you're finding problems with your, not problems, but maybe you find a way that you can do something better. And that's what we always learn, the if factors on the show, always looking to learn, always looking to improve and just be a little bit better every day. Uh, because it's when you get fat, dumb, and happy that uh, those people, you know, they're going to get in your heels. Your competitors are going to get in your heels and they're going to find a new technology or, or a new um unique way to attract your guests and you need to stay on top of it um adopting technology uh always acting like worst case scenarios are going to happen i mean this is why it's so important to have things like protocols in your restaurant uh and having those things worked into your operations manual so if something you know if the kaka hits the fan and you're not there uh you've worked out all these different scenarios and you have your, your team is trained to go to that operations manual, go to the protocols, and you know if this happens, then what? If this happens, then what? The POS fails, then what? If there's a fire, then what? If somebody um, has food poisoning, then what? If somebody uh, there's an angry customer, then what? Like you need to work out all those scenarios and let your team know where to find that information. So uh, productive paranoia. No matter how good things are you are always prepared for the worst case scenario. It really reminds me of uh, Kevin Bam's story of his biggest failure when he was doing really well. Uh, He had a restaurant that shut down and it's because he got kind of lackadaisical and he uh, wasn't paranoid and he wasn't productive. uh, And that's what will happen. So just one example there. So yeah, again, productive paranoia. The last behavior that we're going to talk about is level five ambition. And I guess you would have had to read one of his other books, which is uh, Good to Great, where they talk about level five leadership. But basically what is meant by level five is um, selflessness. Um, You do everything that you do for the greater cause of the business or the cause. And if you have level five ambition, that means all of your ambition, everything you're doing, your purpose (laughs) for on earth is to serve your people and to serve everyone but yourself. And that's what the 10Xers, uh, these companies do. They are out for the better cause of the business, for the people in their business, for the, the better cause of their community, for whatever cause it is, that's what they're on this planet or in their business to do is that ambition is being driven for the bigger picture the better cause. All right, so those are the four behaviors uh, that we discovered in this book that we kind of already learned from interviewing all these great, successful restaurant guests, but it's really kind of uh, pinpointed and like really put emphasis on these four as being the most common uh, behaviors from successful business people or, or companies across the boards. Now, real quickly, we're just going to touch on uh, three other practices that are mentioned in the book, things that these companies are doing, the ways they practice in their company, the the, I guess the the way they operate, and uh, those three things are they are twenty mile marchers, they fire bullets, then cannonballs, 
Uh, and then they lead above the death line. And again, I'm going to be super aerial with these things just to kind of quickly share them with you. And it's, it's on you guys to be great by choice and then to dive into this content on your own. I'll have the links in the show notes. Again, this is episode 206. But, all right, the, that first, I guess, operation, the first uh, practice that they do or use is they they operate like a 20-mile march. So what's, what's meant by a 20-mile march? Uh, they're in it for the, ha- the long run. They don't work harder than they have to. They just work hard enough. They have those short-term goals, and they press ahead with their purpose, their intention, uh, the, the discipline to do just what matters to get to their goals. And then over time, they meet those little goals. And in, in like 20 years, uh, the big goals met because they had the discipline to stay focused on those little goals every day just to march forward and do what matters. And the example he uses in the book, if you're marching 20 miles in a blizzard, I mean, you can only handle maybe three miles a day. Say if you're pulling like, you know, sleds on your back and you have all this equipment. Like if you are in a blizzard and you're, you know, marching uphill for 20 miles, your team can only do three miles a day. And you need to have that discipline to just do three miles. Because if you do six miles, your team might get tired. People might suffer. Uh, you're not, it's not going to help anybody. You need to have that discipline to just go three miles even when times are good, even when you think your team can do nine miles, um, you need to have the discipline just to go three miles and hear me out. Uh, it's because, say things do get better, the conditions do improve. Instead of going uphill, you're going downhill. Instead of being in a blizzard, you're on a clear, sunny day. Um, if you start going downhill and you start doing maybe ten miles, uh, you get comfortable to doing that ten miles, what's going to happen is uh, the conditions are going to change again. And uh, you might be used to bringing in, you know, the profits of putting out that great, that good output. Uh, but all of a sudden, when things get tough, you're you're going to be hurting because you're not going to be able to put out that same performance. Does that make sense? So you want to be very modest in how you operate and stay very consistent and treat it like it's a twenty mile march. Because um, let me think of another example: the airlines right now. Everyone's upset because uh, the airlines are doing great. Uh, but the ticket prices are still high. And the reason is, you know, right now they're going downhill. Um, and if they started lowering their prices to, uh, you know, make their customers happy, what's going to happen is the industry is going to turn pretty soon. The economy is going to get bad. And then they're going to be going uphill and they're going to need that something extra put away uh, for the, the, that, t- that tough time. So what they're doing is they're keeping the prices high. So when things do get tough, they have that cushion. So they're not so, so they're not like really hurting. So that's what happens when you're only going that three miles, you're saving that energy for when times do get hard. So you can continue to go. I hope that makes sense. They do a better job explaining it in the book. And I did my best to explain it in just a shorter period of time, but we got to move on. Uh, Cause I already said I wanted to be 15 to 10 minutes and we're already past that. So anyway, uh, the next thing they do is they fire bullets, then cannons. So what does that mean? And this is great. This is actually, this part of the book was quoted from one of my past guests, uh, Jeff Benjamin. Awesome. Uh, from Vetri Restaurant Group. Great guy. Great advice. Uh, he recommends this book for this section alone, which is fire bullets, then cannons. What's meant by that? I'm just going to give a quick example. Say you're in, on a ship and you're in a battle. You're in a pirate ship and you're trying to sink the other pirate ship. Um, instead of using all of your gunpowder at once to shoot a big cannon and then potentially miss, 
uh, and then you're going to get shot down. What they suggest you do is use a gun to fire a bullet with just a little bit of powder, a little bit of gunpowder, and then if you're off 40 degrees to the left, you correct. You shoot again. Now you're only off 10 degrees. You correct. You shoot again. You nail the boat with a bullet. Now you know your tra- your trajectory is right. Uh, everything's looking good. That's when you put the rest of your gunpowder in a cannon and you shoot a cannonball and you sink that ship. Why is this important? How can we re- relate this to the restaurant industry? It kind of relates back to that behavior of using empirical uh, creativity. So you're collecting data, right? Uh, you're trying things, seeing what works, trying things, seeing what works. And then now that you know what works, that's when you, um, you know, you go all in, right? Uh, you collect the information, you collect the data, and then you make big decisions. You take big risks, but you only do it once you get the data and once you know what works. So that's what 10 Xers do. They fire bullets first and then they shoot cannonballs. Say if you're opening a restaurant, right? The first time, um, instead of going, getting investors, having them give you hundreds of thousands of dollars, a million dollars, and you open this concept, you shoot this huge, this huge cannonball, and it flops. Instead of doing that, why don't you start with a pop-up concept or try uh, bringing a catering company into an office complex? Test your product. Test your concept. See if it works. Pivot. Shoot a bunch of little bullets. Find something that sticks. And then start shooting cannons by getting sponsors or getting uh, supporters or investors or going to a bank uh, and then getting that gunpowder gunpowder so you can shoot that big bullet that's going to have a big impact. So that's what's meant by shoot bullets first, then cannonballs. The next uh, practice that these 10Xers use is called leading above the death line. So uh, what's meant by leading above the death line? Which behavior does this most correlate with? And it's that last behavior, not the last behavior, the second to last behavior, uh, which is productive paranoia. So essentially, they're constantly uh, creating cash buffers, creating uh, buffers in their operation systems. They're always thinking about the worst case scenario, and they're not letting themselves uh, operate at uh, a way where they're just getting by. There's buffers in their procedures. There's buffers in their operation, like their, their systems, their protocols. Um, they always leave a buffer. So when the worst case scenario does come, they're not going to get hit as hard. They have uh, room. They have wiggle room. They're able to go to 30,000 feet real fast and to plug in whatever new or whatever procedure they develop for that for that certain scenario um, where they can come out on top. They never dip below that death line that will result in you know certain demise. They are always planning and they're always finding a solution for the worst case scenario before the worst case scenario happens. So they are proactive instead of reactive. Um, when times are slow, they are thinking about what they can do to increase their odds of success when times are fast or when times are hard. So they lead above the death line. And then the last thing, the last practice that these 10 Xers show in their business is what they call in this book, SMAC. Capital S, capital M, lowercase a, capital C. And what that stands for is specific, methodical, and consistent. 
and in the book they call them smack recipes. And what a smack recipe is is a, uh, a set of durable operating practices that create a replicable and consistent success formula. It is clear and concrete, enabling the entire enterprise to unify and organize its efforts, giving clear guidance regarding what to do and what not to do. A smack recipe reflects empirical validation and insight about what actually works and why. So, I mean, what to me, that explanation is clear. Their systems, processes, procedures backed up with data. And, you know, these are things you develop over time. Um, but they need to be specific, methodical, and consistent. And that's why you can... I mean, that consistency part is huge. That's why you commit operating procedures to an operation handbook you know, an operations manual so that they don't change that if a new person comes in and decides to do something differently, they're not training somebody the wrong way. You know, they have that reference to go back to the operations manual and say, no, this is how we do it. And this is why, because of these reasons that are backed up with empirical uh, evidence. So that is it. Those are the big ones. I mean, those are the four habits and the, I think another three or four, uh, I think it was three practices. I can't remember. I already lost track. But anyway, uh, those are my notes from this book. Um, and they summarize the book, or they they end up they end the book. They finalize the book talking about luck. And uh, what they want to stress is that ten uh, Xers uh, they recognize both good luck and bad luck. But the difference between ten Xers and other companies is they don't blame bad luck for a lack of success. They do recognize good luck for success. But what ten Xers do is they they capitalize on luck opportunities. Um, when there's a, when they're lucky, they make sure they make the most of their luck. And um, another thing, uh, they attract luck. Uh, luck is kind of um, you know, it's the whole like what you put into the world, you get out of it. And when you're good to other people, and you and you're willing to sacrifice your life or do anything for somebody else, odds are that person knows this about you. And uh, when the time comes to help you out, they're going to be there for you. So you're going to get more opportunities for luck. Um, and they do say how luck kind of plays a role, um, sort of and not sort of. You have to read the book. But it definitely, uh, the, the people who are 10Xers seem to be luckier. Um, and then just com- some final thoughts, uh, some things I want to point out, things that are, I think are worth mentioning is that um, all these 10Xers, the people behind these 10X companies, they come from all walks of life. They come from the poor, the, the middle class, and the, the rich families. Um, you determine whether or not you're going to be successful. Uh, you determine whether or not you're going to be great. All these people, the number one common you know factor is that they chose to take action, that they chose to bring luck onto themselves, that they chose to have discipline and to show up consistently and to work towards their values and their goals. They chose to be proactive instead of reactive and to use data and to uh, be creative and to find opportunity where others can't see it. They choose to be productive and paranoid that, you know, sitting at the top doesn't happen just by chance. It happens through hard work and by making your fate. So you can choose to be great. Uh, I think that's the biggest takeaway from this book is that you can choose to go 
uh, read the books that my guests recommend. You can choose to take their advice and to take chance and to um, be proactive in your life. And, I mean, that's one thing that this book is going to do is that you're going to surround yourself with people that will show you where there's opportunity where others won't see it through their own life experiences. You can choose to take action today and to make a choice whether or not you want to be great. So that's the key takeaway. Um, if you want to experience the entirety of this book, you can get it for free today uh, at Audible. And I've partnered up with Audible. You can get this book for free. Again, just head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. I'll have the links in the show notes. Or if you prefer sitting down and holding a book, I also have the links to the book hard copy in the show notes. And uh, this book isn't being recommended by me. It's being recommended by my guests who have recommended this book. Um, so get out there. I'm going to try to do more of these book reviews. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope I was aerial enough for you. I said I wanted it to be 10 to 15 minutes. Oh, well, we're at 25. What can you do? So uh, if you guys found value in this episode, uh, if you have another book you would like to recommend, or <clears throat> recommend, let me know. I'll read it. I'll do a quick book review like this, a summary of what content is in that book. So you can decide if it's something you want to dive into a little bit further. Uh, Please support the show. There's a bunch of ways you can support the show. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com. There's a support page there that will walk you through different ways you can support the show. Five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Or just shoot me an email, eric with a C, at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me who you want to hear from. Think of some of the guest mentors in your community, or the, not the guests, but the, the mentors, the people doing great things in your community that you think would be great guests on the show, and I'll do everything to get them on the show. Or just give me your thoughts. What do you like about the show? What don't you like about the show? How can I provide more value to you? What's one thing you're struggling with? Shoot me an email with your biggest struggle, and I will try to get an expert on the show to uh, learn bes- I mean, with you, because I'm, I'm here to learn too. So we'll get somebody on the show to discuss that that struggle, so maybe we can help you out. All right, guys, that's everything I have today. I hope you enjoyed this. Until next time, peace out.